Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast by Just Natural Africa, where we still explore the dynamics revolving about protected and conserved areas in Africa. And in this particular episode is Gamid Abdul Basat, you will correct me if I pronounce it well, from the Republic of Tanzania, and uh, he will be sharing his experiences with us. But before we get into the core subject matter, uh, Gamid, uh, I'm curious to know. Um, know more about you, so tell us about yourself, uh, where you're coming from, your locality, and uh, what you're wearing right now, and actually what inspired why you're wearing it. Uh, then any necessary affiliations, and plus any other you know, any other information you want us to know. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, it's a little privilege, first of all, to connect with you once again, since the uh, the Africa Protected Areas Congress in Kigali. And uh, yeah, so my journey, I can say it's not quite long. I was just uh, uh, a normal student trained uh, to be a scientist uh, in, in, in our high schools. We call it PCM. It's the studies of physics, mathematics, and chemistry. I was so inspired to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot. But again, um, in my uh, when I was choosing now, the time for choosing my courses for joining the university, my father advised me to uh, to join environmental sciences because he was uh, in the engineering sector or you can say contracting sector. But then he said, you know, engineers now, the market is not so well, so you should better go to environmental sciences. I didn't even know it is a course. I thought environment is something like someone needs to know it, you know. It's just surrounding us. It's nature. That's what I that's what I knew. So it's actually a cause. I was really wondering what's the cause about. So I noticed in Tanzania, more than uh, yeah, it's it's actually two big universities are are providing that bachelor's degree of environmental sciences. That's where I joined, and I, I noticed it's something super wide with you know meteorology science, you know science of the atmosphere, science of the land, science of the. Uh, of the air, as I mentioned, science of water, from fresh water to marine. And here I am today, a trained environmentalist. So you can say my environmental journey is uh, is actually more based or more affected by, by, um, by being trained to be an environmental scientist and now specializing on eco-hydrology. Um, in Europe. Uh, so yeah, you're wondering what I, why am I wearing this? I know it's a bit cold, uh, but uh, I think it's just a simple uh, afternoon uh, on a weekend. So I'm wearing a t-shirt today. And uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, excited to be part of this uh, journey and, and the podcast with Nature Wild. And yeah, looking forward to exchange so much with you, Joshua. Back to you. Okay, thanks so much. You've actually shared quite a lot, and uh, I think we have different stories of how we got how we got into the conservation space. But uh, as of now, I'm actually still lagging because uh, you've not yet like told told me officially uh, wh who you are, like what your affiliation, and what direction you actually come from. It's good to learn about your inspiration, but kindly introduce yourself as uh, who you are. Oh, sure. Affiliation. Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, I'm Ramit, as the way Joshua uh, introduced me. I'm an eco-hydrologist, a trained one, and also a National Geographic Explorer. I founded an NGO called the Tanzania Biodiversity Organization, which runs the Tanzanian Youth Biodiversity Network, which is a chapter 
to the Global Youth Biodiversity Network. I'm also a Youth for Nature uh, Global Ambassador. At the moment, I'm more focused with the uh, climate and biodiversity policy nexus, especially on the post-2020 global biodiversity framework. We all understand we are heading to COP27 in, uh, in Egypt, but at the same time, we're heading to COP15 in, uh, in Canada of the CBD. So we are trying to uh, build awareness, and those are basically programs on capacity building on the post-2020 global biodiversity framework, training youth, uh, meaning young women and men, uh, and community, different community groups, as well as slicing with the local government and the central government on the ways the focal points of the climate and biodiversity include youngsters uh, within their national biodiversity and climate action plans at the moment. So with water management, uh, I am more into a freshwater ecology as a specialist. And now combining with being a national geographic explorer, I'm transitioning to uh, storytelling and, and science telling. So uh, with my recent certification of science telling, I am now uh, uh, focused on telling uh, stories which are linked to water in one way or another, from its science to environmental issues surrounding the water management. We all understand how biodiverse our countries in Africa are and our continent is. And uh, at the moment, with a lot of freshwater reserves we are having, so does the biodiversity, the, how, the, how the reserve is. So I'm trying to raise awareness on that angle. And of course, I have a YouTube channel on that. It's called Conserve Africa Media. You're welcome to, uh, to listen to it and have uh, a glimpse on what I actually focus on. Thank you so much. Amazing. That actually sounds quite a lot uh, because I, 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 for one, would actually wonder how you do that. Maybe you're a human robot, perhaps. I'm not sure. But then just to a, just to a, like, uh, a section of what you actually engage with, I'm sure you've heard more about things to do with particular and conserved areas. And now the situation turns a bit complex with our African continent because you will definitely know that Africa particularly has a rapidly shooting population. And it, uh, we also were counteracting development with conservation. And it's really a huge challenge. So I would like to know from your own experience, uh, from your own local context or story, what you, what you would call a particular conserved area. Uh, that's void of, oh, thank you. void of the void of the usual definitions we always have here and there. How would best you understand it? Okay, uh, so from my perspective, uh, this actually also reminds me of the same conference which I just met you recently uh, of the Africa Protected Areas Congress. So it was uh, uh, kind of also difficult for me to understand, you know, what are these uh, colleagues here speaking about, you know. Others are speaking of fresh waters, others are speaking of marine, others are speaking of, you know, wildlife, speaking of, uh, you know, terrestrial wildlife, the national parks. So all combined from a level of understanding, conservation area in terms of protected areas, these are actually uh, locations which can either be uh, conservation areas or national parks or game reserves, but they hold a lot, a lot of biodiversity and they are not necessarily uh, places where human coexist with that kind of natural resources, but they are places with the highest economic and non-economic value in terms of natural resources. I'm sure this is uh, quite uh, an understanding of natural resource economics, you know, speaking of value of the biodiversity of the water we're having, terrestrial biodiversity we're having, if it's the marine water, 
if it's the species within the uh, within the water um, ecosystems and the land ecosystems. So these areas can or cannot be protected by basically human beings, but policies are governing them, and they have regulations for how humans can coexist with them, and therefore this results to their highest value in terms of economic and non and non-economic, which means the ecosystem service provided by these places. So they are highly valued locations, which are protected by policies and sometimes the boundaries. That's my understanding. Oh, a lot interesting. I see you brought in so much to do with economics. And I, uh, I also do like going with it. It's a famous, it's a famous, I should say, phrase that conservation is actually business. So when I hear economics, I kind of relate it to that. Yeah, I understand that now with Africa itself, uh, conservation is, is a serious thing. We are trying to, we are picking up uh, in interest in lately. And yes, of course, as we strive for these conservation efforts, especially for protected and conserved areas, there are lots of challenges that come up. Uh, there might, I might be having some, some of them in, at the back of my mind, but I'm curious to know which ones you have actually experienced in your own setting or uh, the ones you've actually come across from the engagement setting. In conservation areas and PAs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so from my end, oh, I'm from Tanzania, as, as, as you mentioned. So Tanzania, um, so let me start with my own um, area of speciality, freshwater. Tanzania is holding 30% of the global freshwater reserve. So speaking of water issues, we're having Lake Tanganyika, we're having Lake Victoria, we're having Lake Nyasa. Of course, there are also transboundaries. There are also transboundary water resources. So I can simply say these are the first examples on my end. And now shifting on to the uh, ecosystems around it. Speaking of Lake Tanganyika itself, Lake Tanganyika is just next to the Mahali Ecosystem uh, Reserve or Mahali Mountains National Park. It's in Kigoma. Uh, the, the, the famous Jane Goodall is actually in southern Kigoma, which is actually the southern of Lake Tanganyika. So I mean the uh, the northern of Lake Tanganyika. So basically, the lake itself, Lake Tanganyika, is just surrounded by the protected areas, and and that's why I mentioned earlier that uh, starting with the uh, with the core of, of of the water, the ecosystem within it and around it is enough to say something about conservation areas and protected areas. So a lot of national parks, a lot of conservation areas, you have the Serengeti. Uh, the Ngorongoro Conservation Area, Serengeti National Parks, Tarangiri National Parks. It's a lot, it's a lot. And of course, not to forget about the uh, transboundary ones, you know, speaking of the, the, the corridors that our ecosystems are having, which are, are actually our wildlife is moving from different countries, like corridors of Tanzania to Kenya, Tanzania to Uganda, uh, in different ways and manners, either for land ecosystems or the uh, water ecosystem. So the list is, uh, you know, I can say it's not exhaustive. It's a lot. Uh, you know, when you speak of Africa, I can I can mention some areas which you don't know about, and you can mention me some areas in your country, in Uganda, which I don't know about, and they're actually very much more diverse. So it's just too much. Of course, Zanzibar and the Mafia, we have a lot of sites, and uh, it just reminded me of the red chimps that we're having in uh, in, 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 in Josani, Zanzibar, and which I just knew this year, you can imagine. So it's a lot, speaking of levels of endangered species, 
to the most critical ones. So yeah, a lot of biodiversity, a lot of protected areas, and a lot of newly established areas which are to be established for, for more protection and for more peaceful coexistence between humans and them. Okay, uh, thanks. Thanks so much. I know like the knowledge, knowledge is a continuous thing and we actually keep learning. I also do agree that I could mention some that you don't know and you just be left in awe. And uh, I also get to understand that right now uh, you, you're more, you're same, you're more experienced to forecasting to, um, should I say, freshwater or marine, marine protected areas. And I'm keen to know, uh, just highlight some of some of the challenges that actually face uh, conservation with regards to these particular sections. Well, thank you so much. Um, so I would again lie on to the side of the freshwater. Uh, I know you have a lot of divers in the marine area, so I'll I'll now be the uh, the, uh, the the one who will hold on the freshwater issues at least to say something about it. So. Speaking of the problems, it's a lot, it's a lot. Um, we're having fishing, by the way, in fresh waters as well. And, and fishing has been um, greatly affected in terms of uh, either overfishing or, 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 or over, again, like over exploitation of these resources during fishing activities, especially in the deepest lakes, like the one in Tanganyika. Speaking of Tanganyika, it's the deepest in the world, right? Speaking of other forms of, of water resources we are having in, in, in our continent or our world, and um, on the on the other hand, apart from fishing and over exploitation, is actually the quality of water we are having right now. We all understand we use fresh water for different purposes for drinking and domestic uses, and all the problems we are having, it's either on the side of scarcity, either due to drought as a problem, and on the other hand, it's actually the quality of water, which is due to different human activities, from uh, industrial waste, uh, from uh, domestic waste and other and other human activities based uh, waste that are actually dumped into the water resources, causing the process of uh, you know eutrophication in nutrient enrichment. A good example is actually industrial waste and agricultural activities, which increase more nutrients into the water just by a simple surface runoff by by, by rainfall from the farming and agri lands to the uh, freshwater resources and therefore the water becomes green in color which is so much observed in different locations around the world and without uh we people might, might be not interested to swim into the water that's just a simple example but the main case here comes with the ecosystem health and human health the water is said to be toxic because uh, the greenery is due to the cyanobacteria cyanobacteria has a toxic chemical called the cyanotoxins and the toxins are very, uh, it's actually another case of, 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 a, of, of a serious disease. And of course, um, uh, it's actually an, an exposure which is harmful to human health and the environment itself. And therefore not safe to swim, not safe to drink, not safe to utilize for any other purposes. And therefore water is becoming much more scarce. And that's what I could touch on at least. Amazing. Thanks so much. It's quite interesting to know the bit of diversity. And for some reason, I've always tended to think that with regards to marine and fresh waters, it's a lot similar. But I get to understand that even from your, from your experiences you're sharing, there's some bit of differences. And uh, so I'm now curious. Yes, there are challenges that exist, but definitely there's always a way we are trying to look into. There's an ideal situation we always want to create. 
So um, I'm curious to know what ideal situation would you want to have or do you envision with regards to some of these uh, these uh, critical ecosystems, especially with the freshwater you're talking about, and maybe as well a hint on the terrestrial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, with, with specifically to freshwater resources, you know, the problem here comes with the uh, that this water, as we speak, it's now on the ground already. Either it's getting recharged from the underground or it's getting recharged from the, from uh, from the rain. But uh, the problem comes with the quality stills that is is uh, like the, the amount of of um, producing you know pollutants introducing pollutants into the uh, into the water resource is actually higher than the solutions which are actually getting provided right now. So ideal interventions that of course I have seen and they, they might be good ideas of technology transfer is using uh, different. Uh, we have the biofiltration systems. Uh, we need to see. Uh, from the level of capacity building we're having to the agricultural or agri farms in our areas, in our local areas, or even urban farming, by the way, in cities, uh, we can we can find best ways to integrate these methodologies on how we can create biofiltration systems, which are actually nature-based solutions to uh, to see what is the allowed amount to come from the agri lands to the water resources we are having. Speaking of the water resources, they actually some of them are even protected. Speaking of water flow, water flow just that it's it just doesn't start from you know a river in town. It goes from a from a river in town, you know, from a from a river in town to somewhere, somewhere you know, some, somewhere in an in a in an in an ocean or somewhere in a bigger reservoir, which is actually more kilometers ahead and therefore affecting a bigger location if it's either protected or unprotected. And therefore, interventions of, uh, of, of the filtration system, as I said, but at the same time, it starts with, uh, you know, a system where, uh, you know, a, a system analysis of starting with the awareness, you know, investing more in awareness, investing more in technology, which supports this kind of systems from local levels, because as we speak, we are using digital technology right now here in Connecting, but what what, what is happening to our to our farmers from the local areas right now and speaking of terrestrial land uh, that's actually a good one um, I'll go to the same in terms of how do we actually produce uh, our you know our food products or our, our, our crops starting with the fertilizers and starting on how we even uh, use uh, the, the, the methods of agriculture we are using are we using the climate smart agriculture which is a new intervention not so new but at least it's new uh, or are we using organic agriculture or are we combining both or are we finding different ways of you know finding resilience due to the specific location and the climate of that area and 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 actually uh producing more more food products or, or more crops but at the same time being friendly to the environment and not affecting because the same system might affect the same farm without themselves knowing they might produce some good crops for transport but at the same time, the water which they'll be able to drink, which is just you know next door to them or next to their farm, will affect themselves from their own, you know, fr from their own uh, farming lands or grazing lands. So I can say those are just my uh, first interventions. But I know it's it's a lot, and uh, a lot can be mentioned by 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 different uh, you know propositions from different specialists. So that's my take on that. 
Yeah, quite interesting, and uh, it's great to know uh, some of these insights already. And uh, right now, I'm just keen to know uh, what, like, just highlight what's what are some of these you perhaps have done or plan to do uh, in that regard. Like you as an individual who or you mm -hmm. a group, you are already engaging in some of these areas. Sure, that, that, that's a very good question. Uh, so I basically started the level of awareness. Awareness was the, is the number one thing that I have. I can say has been my priority so far. With the NGO that I've just mentioned there in the, in the introduction, awareness from the level of them understanding the policies, but at the same time understanding the technology. I mentioned about the post twenty twenty global diversity framework. The targets within the post twenty twenty GBF actually have something to say about the genetic resources present over there. And genetic resources means the way we are handling uh, our food from the level of production, the level of consumption is, is something, is a chain, you know, it, the so-called the, the digital sequence information. It's a chain which a farmer needs to know and a buyer needs to know. Where does my food come from? How does my food get secured? From the using of fertilizers, you know, from the use of, of different machineries. What's the exposure rate of, 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 the, of this um, kind of seed that is, is getting planted today? So from the level of awareness, people need to understand policies. We have done policy awareness. Sometimes we have done technology awareness. As an ecohydrologist, we have done technology awareness and different recommendations, sometimes to the central government as well, trying to lobby to see how does the government respond uh, uh, to us if we are do they trust us to be the, the agents of transfer of technology? Because we are speaking of, uh, in ecohydrology, we are speaking of uh, technology which can actually remove phosphorus. I mentioned about the fertilizers, phosphorus, and even nitrogen, and even cyanobacteria that I mentioned uh, from the green um, like soil reservoirs. But is the central government ready to accept our interventions? So we have tried to lobby, and we are waiting for the responses. On the other hand, uh, we have raised awareness to the generations, which is actually us, the youth, not only community members, to understand what kind of technologies to use right now, because we understand we are the most massive in terms of population. And uh, on the other hand, apart from policy awareness and technology transfer, is actually, um, you know, we are trying to see how can behavioral change also be part of the process, trying to see uh how we how we how we actually do our daily works how do we uh you know be friendly with our daily routines on how we can you know interact with our water resources interact with our environmental resources and different ways of trying our best to contribute something to the environment yeah yeah it's really amazing it's really amazing how much you're already doing and uh, one, one point I'll certainly agree upon is that uh, we, we need to collaborate with our governments because they are the ones who really formulate these policies as well as national level. And definite collaboration is key in this regard. So uh, this sounds like uh, a very great vision uh, for the future with regards to, I would say, uh, freshwater and actually even terrestrial, terrestrial ecosystems. And uh, right about now, I know the number of younger Af Africans out there around the continent who who still have these visions, maybe those who, who are still envisioning, those who are in the process and, uh, you know, we're all at different stages. And uh, I'm curious to know what your message for that young African out there could be, someone who is trying to venture into the same conversation space. Well, um, that, that's a very good question. Uh, 
because that, that can actually be a message which is like pointing myself as well you know it's like shooting a gun but pointing myself um this is a message of course to all the youngsters and myself first of all it's proceeding to learn and understand the scenarios that our climate or our environment is facing right now uh we need to invest our time in learning about what is really happening on the environment because uh we have we, we also because we are very ambitious ambitious doesn't mean we know what we are doing ambitious is actually trying to get back and learn about what has been said you're hearing about the news on climate crisis do you understand what are the climate crisis so at least for the young ones we need to learn if it's social science or uh, physical science on what are really the changes on our environment i'm speaking i spoke about water um others speak about marine others speak about um Let's speak about uh, you know community issues. People need to understand what really the problem is from their local level, then scaling up uh, to the regional and national level. After understanding uh, the problems facing our communities and the science behind it, and and the uh, and the knowledge behind it, we we need to now come up with innovation that can be able to solve our problems, depending on the resources you have and the ways you can contribute. You can use platforms to raise awareness. As I mentioned earlier, we have the YouTube channel already. Uh, or we have the organizations. We have uh, different youth platforms nowadays available to partner and collaborate. They are free for people to use and access. And therefore, we need to uh, innovate something. Either it's an educational platform, a technology platform, a platform which people now are able, are able to understand, discuss about the issues faced by our environment and the science behind it. You asked me a very tough question on what are the protected areas, but do people understand what are the PAs? So after after innovating, then after innovating, then it's time to create an impact. Scale your impact much more. Don't stay on one place. Scale your impact to the best of the levels because the moment you face barriers, because the moment of scaling, people. You can have a local impact, but you need to scale up. Start scaling because you face the real challenges. You understand how the central government now works. You understand was the challenge yourself, or is it the politics around you? So, uh, so, so with scaling, you can actually uh, provide. You can actually uh, create a bigger impact according to uh, to the uh, to the problem which the, the locality is facing. And of course, understanding that different locations have different issues. Uh, speaking of biodiversity, uh, we can have more, more, more we, we can we can have more type of this species, but other localities can be this way. Geographical locations, understanding the science behind the climate in that area is also different. So, yeah, we need to uh, yeah learn, innovate, and scale our impact. Thank you so much. Learn, innovate, and scale our impact are the keywords in this case. And I think that's actually the best summary of uh, all you've actually said with regards to the key messages. Uh, thanks so much for all these really great insights. They've been so educative and informative. And right now is an interesting phase whereby, yes, uh, you've been doing some of these. Your action is, is actually visible out there, just like many other people. And uh, definitely, as you do this, there's always something you're aiming at. And also, other, there are also other things you don't want to see happening. So for this next phase, you will have to tell us something you don't want to see happening on your watch. So you'll have to start with not on my watch, and then you mention what you don't want to see happening with regards to 
the work you're doing or the conservation space as well. Yeah. Wow. So are, are they are they three different answers or two different answers? Yeah. Okay. Not on my watch. So um, I'm not, I, mean, I give you the key of not on my watch, and then you now add in the remainder depending on what you don't want to see happening based on the work you're doing already. Okay. Okay. Uh, based on the work I'm doing, what I, want, I don't want to see. I don't want to see bureaucracy in in the uh, with the uh, with the um, stakeholders you're working with. We really want actions on the ground, and therefore I don't expect bureaucracy because we are meeting it always, but. I don't want to see it in front of me. I wish everything could go smoothly. Short and sweet, I should say. <laughs> and sweet. Yeah, bureaucracy is a yeah. very, very huge challenge, and we hope we can actually go against it. So once again, thanks so much for really coming in or tuning in to be featured into this, into this, this episode of the podcast. And uh, hope you have a great time. Yeah, thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate it.